Bills Mafia, what is up? And welcome into the very first episode of a brand new podcast here on the Built in Buffalo podcast feed. This is the Halftime Adjustments podcast. I am your host, Charlie Gross. Many of you may remember me from uh, different podcasts I've done in the past. I have moved over to Built in Buffalo. We have imported our format from the Podcaster's Corner, for those of you who might be familiar with the Podcaster's Corner. When I have a guest on, I don't just talk Bill's football. I also talk how they got their start, whether it's a podcaster or a writer. And I think that that's helpful for a lot of people out there because I always run into people who are new to podcasting or or who want to get into it. So I figured that we would do something on this podcast that would help you guys out. Um, I've had Pat Moran on in the past, Ryan Thomas. And today I have a very special guest for you guys. It is Ryan Talbot, uh, Bill's Beat writer for New York Upstate, Syracuse.com. So let's get right into the interview. And joining me now on the podcast, very happy to have him with me today, uh, writes for New York Upstate, writes for Syracuse.com, writes for Bill's Updates. Ryan Talbot is in the house, everybody. Ryan, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks Thanks for coming on. Uh, you were actually, I think, my first podcast guest ever back when I was with Fanatics, and now you're my first guest uh, as I moved to the Bilton Buffalo, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm honored both times. I was honored the first time, honored this time. So as always, I, I appreciate uh, you reaching out and asking me to come on. Yeah, it was the first time. Uh, I really admired your work, and I thought that you were the most approachable. <laughs> and this time, it's just because I admire your work, and I know you're approachable. <laughs> yeah, you know, I always try to be. There's no reason not to be approachable in this business. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And that's what I've learned developing relationships and, and stuff like that with the, the different writers and podcasters. Um, and we'll get to more of that in a minute. But I think we have to start with, I feel like we're sort of at the halfway point of the off season, at least in terms, I understand like the season is three or four or five months away, but in terms of the draft and free agency, we're kind of in the middle of that spot. And we, I think we all went in thinking, okay, well, how is Brandon Bean going to do what we need to do, the COVID cap, all these kinds of things. But as is his tradition, he, he finds a way to, to add guys at, at almost every position. I, he's loaded up on offensive linemen again. And I didn't doubt him. I know it seemed that way to some people on Twitter. Um, but it's just really impressive what he does. I think they're a real good model for what any team should be doing, especially with a young quarterback. Yeah, I agree completely with that. And what he has done this offseason is impressive because when the Bills re-signed Matt Milano, it was, okay, well, Darrell Williams isn't coming back. It was one or the other. I don't know how they could even get the money for one. And then they do that. And then the next day, Darrell Williams resigns. And then it turns to, well, John Feliciano. He's the odd man out. He resigns. And, and obviously, the, the further this goes, you're like, okay, well, he, he's got the core three players back. He gets Isaiah McKenzie eventually. And McKenzie's contract is a steal based on what he does for this team. And, and there's an out in it as well. Because if he doesn't, you know, if someone beats him, I guess, so to speak, in terms of return man, in terms of wide receiver depth, they're not committed to that contract. And that's the other thing I really like What in terms of what Brandon Bean does is he builds these contracts where 
there's potential outs in them uh, where after a year, if it's a three-year deal and they need to re renegotiate, sometimes he works it down to a, uh, the, the second year being the final year of the contract. And he can, he, he's a lot of maneuverability in these moves. He always seems to have the bills in a healthy spot. Now, mind you, had the cap space gone up this year as it had been projected before COVID-19, those would have been in a really healthy situation to re-sign all of those players. He still found a way to do it with the cap going down significantly. So, you know, kudos to him and that whole front office for being able to figure out a way to bring back those core players while also building up some depth in other areas. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's interesting. We always mention Brandon Bean, so I'm glad you brought up the rest of the front office. I mean, these are guys that we talk about them a little but not really a lot. And I think Dan Morgan is one guy who we really have to bring out. I mean, Brandon Bean's a busy guy. He's got contracts. He has draft things to scout. And so to be able to get all these different players and all these offensive linemen, and, and obviously that's more or less Dan Morgan's job and his staff is, is the director of, you know, pro personnel, pro scouting. I just think that they as well have done a, a great job giving him and Sean McDermott the information about, okay, these are the guys we like. These are the guys we can fit. And I just think that that doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, the rest of the guys in that front office, you know, Brian Gain, Joe Shane, but Dan Morgan and his staff, especially. Yeah. I, I just commented actually today, uh, Eric, Wood has Dan Morgan coming on his podcast, uh, his next guest. And I said, it's not going to be long before he's a GM in this league. Uh, he, he's moving up that ladder pretty quickly, obviously former player, I uh, had some success there in the front office uh, a little bit in Seattle and then comes over to Buffalo and he's continuing that. He's learning from a great group of, of personnel, like you mentioned, Brandon Bean uh, and company. So he's on that fast track and he's earned it. He, he is another great mind. And that's the other thing too. The Bills seem to bring in more and more of these uh, people into their front office that, hey, come with us. You know, it might just be for a year or two, and you might get a job elsewhere, and that's we're okay with that. But just like Brandon Bean replenishes the offensive line every year, he seems to always have someone waiting in the wings in terms of who could be next to join that front office. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the names right now, and I think maybe the top six guys have either been a GM or have all been mentioned as, as guys who might be um, getting interviews, Joe Shane, Malik Boyd, Terrence Gray, uh, Dan Morgan, Lake Dawson, and then Brian Gain obviously was already a GM. So really just a fantastic job by that whole staff. What do you make? I know they've signed so many players. What do you make of the plan? Because from my point of view, I looked at it. I watched the Bills play the Chiefs, and, and I said, uh-oh. <laughs> that, that wasn't even close. That's, we have a problem here. And then I watched Tampa play the Chiefs, and I said, uh-oh, we've got a bigger problem here. It, it can make it seem like, like you're very far away. Um, you know, the three safety thing, the athletic DBs, like those are two things that the Bills didn't seem to really have a lot of. Uh, you know, there's questions about the offensive line. Brandon Bean brought it up himself, and certainly speed at the skill positions. So what – how do you think it's gone um, – I mean, I don't know if there's a closing the gap that needed to happen or if the Chiefs are going to sort of fall back to the Bills a little bit. What, what, what's your overall feeling of what the Bills did as opposed to what you thought they needed when, you know, that Chiefs game ended maybe? Yeah, that's a great question. You, you know, you, you never want to 
based what the Bills need to do based on one game. And I know, like you said, the Chiefs game really was never that close. Um, Tyreek Hill was running free in the middle of the field all game long. Travis Kelsey, no one could really cover him. But it's funny, in the first matchup, I thought that Saran Neal did a pretty decent job on Travis Kelsey, and I thought that they had a good game plan for Tyreek Hill. Sometimes the game plan is just as big as uh, the actual players, and I just think that that game plan in the AFC Championship game was not a very good one, and, and if they could go back and redo it, they would have done things a lot differently. Uh, in terms of, you know, catching up to the Chiefs, well, they needed some speed, so they added uh, a Matt Breed. And I'm not saying Matt Breed is even going to make this final roster, but that's what they were missing at the running back position. They, they add a guy that has some speed, that has some playmaking ability. Wide receiver room is already very, very deep. I think that, though, in this draft class, they're going to add another player there. It's another really solid draft class where you can get someone on day two, day three that has speed. If that's what you're, you know, the number one thing you're looking for, there's going to be some guys that you can add there without going into too many specifics, but that's still on the table. I think that um, obviously there was a lot of hype around maybe trading for Zach Ertz at one point. Uh, there's a lot of speculation out there. The Bills were in on him and maybe they were. The Eagles just wouldn't come off their asking price. I still like what they've done at the position with Jacob Pollister. I, recently that uh, Seahawks-Bills game was on NFL Network. And again, you don't want to base a signing on one game, but it was impressive seeing how Hollister was getting open all the time in that game. And, and he was one reliable target for Russell Wilson. Uh, I, I think that he can be a really solid tight end in the system in, in Buffalo where you can still let Dawson Knox grow. You're not giving up on him, but you're also bringing in someone who has that chemistry with Josh Allen from their time at Wyoming. And in terms of catching the Chiefs, you know, every season is different. Every team is an injury away from uh, falling off a cliff significantly. If you look at what the Chiefs have done, they still have quite a bit of cap space. If I if I was reading that correctly recently, I want to say around 20. Yeah, I, th I think so, yeah. Yeah, and yet they still don't really have those tackles addressed. I think that they were they took some swings on some players that they were hoping to get, and they missed out on them. Now, would I be shocked if they re-signed Eric Fisher late in the process, knowing that he's going to miss a good portion of the season uh, and hope that he comes back in time for end of the regular season playoffs? Sure, but you still need someone to start there, you know, throughout the most, majority of the regular season. You still need that right tackle option, someone you can depend on. So if they don't get that addressed, teams – we saw what Tampa Bay did, but even teams that don't have that type of pass rush in terms of quality players in depth they could have more success against the Chiefs this year that division's getting better I've loved I've I love the offensive lineman signing that the Chargers have made uh you know helping to protect Justin Herbert and I think that he had a lot of real promise there Raiders not so you know I'm not sure what they're doing I, I can't no. say everyone's in the division I love what they're doing and Denver they're, they're still not sure what they have in Drew Locke I I almost think they realize maybe he's not the guy, but you don't want to give up on someone too soon either. But it, it might not be long before one of those teams, uh, more likely Denver maybe gets the right guy. And then they have some offensive weapons there in Judy and Cortland Sutton and uh, Noah Font, so on and so forth. So they're a quarterback away. If that division gets tougher, it might not even be the, the Chiefs you have to become concerned with. The NFL – just changes and evolves. As long as you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, oh yeah, they're likely going to be in the running for that AFC's crown for the foreseeable future. But you just don't want to assume that's going to be the case year by year. Sure, and I think probably the best thing that could happen 
for the Bills is that 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 uh, division gets a little stronger because then maybe the Chiefs take a couple losses and you know the Bills could maybe get that first first round by you know something like that. Let's talk a little bit about the Bills offensive line because that's been interesting. As I mentioned earlier, they just keep adding depth and adding you know guys they can trade to the Patriots for six round picks later on in the year or whatever they want to do. But the starters kind of seem, at least right now, like we know who they are. Butker's not really back yet. So it seems like it's obviously Dawkins and Williams. And then it seems like it's going to be Ford, Feliciano, and Morse. Um, I know they probably, I know some of the guys who they signed will probably certainly give some competition to that. But it seems like those are the five guys. The Mitch Morse thing has been, again, a little weird this offseason, too, with reports about, oh, well, he was going to get cut if he didn't take a pay cut, and then he approached them. And so I don't know what's going on. But those are the five starters. And I wanted to talk about Cody Ford, too, and tie it in with what you said about the tight ends with Dawson Knox. There's still some players on this team who really haven't had a chance to really mature and grow and who were who were projects, especially Ford. He keeps getting injured. I think they just really need to let some of these guys sit and develop. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that. I mean, I'm going to go off the off track here for one second. Look at Jaquan Johnson. Uh, he is pretty much being groomed for that Dean Marlowe role now, and he's been able to kind of sit and develop these last few years uh, because you have Jordan Poirier, you have Mike Hyde playing the majority of the snaps, and when they're not on the field, it's it was Dean Marlowe. So now that Marlowe signs elsewhere, unless they draft someone, which is obviously a possibility, it's probably going to be Jaquan Johnson that's going to fill that role. There's something to be said for that in terms of giving those guys some time. Now, you know, Cody Ford, he's had some bad luck with injuries. You mentioned it. Uh, And you can be in the meetings. You can do a a lot of stuff off the field to prepare you. But until you're on the field getting those reps, you can't reach that full potential. So when you sit there and you look at the offensive line, I think four of the five of those names you can put in Sharpie as long as they're healthy. I think Cody Ford is the only one where he'll have to compete a little bit for that starting job. Now, Brandon Bean at the end of the regular season, everything he said makes you believe he wants Ford to start, but they're not going to just hand the job to him because he is a former second round pick. He has to win that. And it's going to be interesting because Ike Butker has plenty of experience starting after this past season. And he was one of those players that you've groomed over the last few years before he received that opportunity. Ryan Bates is another player that's been here now for a few seasons He's been waiting in the wings. Will he get the opportunity? I'm not sure, just because I think the Bills like having that utility man that if someone does go down, he could play tackle, he could play guard. He could even play center, although he wouldn't be their first option to do that. Um, So maybe he doesn't get the same shake. Forrest Lamp is a player I was very high on when he was coming out in 2017. Uh, He's had injury issues, missed his rookie season, uh, was inactive a lot of his second year as they were trying to get him caught up third season he re- he had two starts seven games played and then he had another season ending injury and then he it was a 16 game started this past season so it took a while 2020 for him to actually get that starting experience now injuries definitely played a role in that and that could end up being the case for Cody Ford he could be a 16 game starter one year from now we could be talking about how great he was or how the Bills need to finally move on from him but we're not going to know until he's on the field and actually playing. But, yeah, I mean, I, I love what the Bills do, uh, what Brandon Bean does specifically every year where he loads up the offensive line room because 
you want to have reliable depth and backups because you're one injury away, but you also want to have those options that maybe you can trade a player away right before the start of the regular season because there was an injury elsewhere or they're not happy with the depth that they have. You know, a lot of people were ragging on the Bobby Hart signing. Bobby Hart was not brought in here to start. He was brought in to be the swing tackle. Now, if one of the starting tackles goes down, I, I get why you would be concerned. Um, but who's to say he even makes the final rush? He could be one of those players that gets traded away for a, a day three pick because he has a lot of starting experience. And, and I know that there's a lot more to it than just starting and playing in this league, but a lot of coaches, GMs, other teams, it is something that they look for when they make these signings. Sure. And before we get into the draft, because um, we've mentioned that a few times, I wanted to spend some time uh, every episode of what used to be the podcaster's corner and is now this podcast, uh, I'd spent talking about how people got their start or um, any advice that they can give to somebody. And I think your story from what I, how, how I understand of it is very unique um, in a way. Uh, I, I feel like you kind of started writing and kept writing and kind of really kind of almost forced your way in the door, created your own lane, and you've really become a voice that I think the fan base really values and, and really uh, listens to and looks to. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how all that happened for you, and, uh, and then we'll see if, if we can get some advice for any of those aspiring writers out there. Yeah, first, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I took an unorthodox path to get to where I am. Um, I, I did not go into the writing field in college. Um, so I, I started this as, as a fun hobby. I saw a website called Queen City Sports, was looking for a Bills writer. I'm from Western New York. I followed the Bills my entire life. I was, I've always been big into the draft, loved the draft. Um, so that was like uh, submit a mock draft or something like that. And I did that and I was hired. So I started working there. Um, and I won't go over every stop that I've had because there's quite a few, but from there, Bleacher Report reached out to me. And this was before it was, you know, th them signing right. the big names, which they have over the last uh, five, 10 years. But, you know, do you want to come over and be a, I can't remember what the term that they used to have for it, but they used to have like this bad system, like most reads in a month and things like that. Um, uh, the brass rings, so to speak. So I, I went there though, but it was good. And I, and I know that, there's something to be said about exposure versus being paid, but this was still like a hobby to me. So it was good for exposure for me. I enjoyed that. Uh, from there, you know, I'm not going to remember every spot in order, but there was billsmafia.com where Del Reed trusted me enough to kind of run that site for a while. And I was honored by that. And I think it's now, it's now buffalofanbase.com. Uh, there is a website called buffalobillsdraft.com. That was, yep, it was owned by um, USA Today. It was like a subsidiary of, mm, of okay. USA Today. And Dan Hope was the main writer, editor-in-chief of that site. And he's on the Clemson beat now. Uh, so he's doing really well. Joe Marino was there with uh, us. There, I, I knew uh, so, Joe had mentioned yeah. that. Uh... <laughs> so uh, I got to know Joe pretty well from there. Now, Joe was also, I believe, at Queen City Sports correctly. I've had a few stops with, with Joe. Uh, that was a great site. Dan was always very blunt, very honest uh, in terms of, you know, here's what I would do, here's what I would add, and then I would go back, resubmit things. Uh, I was at scout.com for a little while, and, and then eventually I was approached by uh, NewYorkUpstate.com, Syracuse.com, part of the Syracuse Post Standard, where they were looking for a second 
uh, Bills writer at that time, Matthew Fairburn was there. He was the Bills beat writer and they were looking for someone to just kind of uh, write some original content, do some ags, things like that, write about what Mel Piper says about the Bills pick this year, stuff like that. And uh, I jumped at the opportunity to work with Matt. And when Matt left for the athletic, I was very lucky to get another Matt to join the site and <laughs> Matt right. Reno. Uh, and, you know, Matt and I have formed a very close bond. I'm very lucky to work with him. He's a great guy. And we have a really good rapport there. And that's even branched out now into our own podcast, Shout, uh, which we do every Wednesday. And we, you know, we, we do some reaction pods when, when big news breaks. Uh, we'll have a ton of them over the course of the draft as well. So it's been a very fun journey. Uh, it's been, like I said, unorthodox. It's it's not a traditional path that I took. Very lucky, like you said. It, it's hard to find uh, a spot or, or your own uh, area in this market, and I've been lucky enough to do that. And then in terms of advice, you know, the one thing I've always done is that if I see something that's out there, I think – First of all, is this something that Bills fans would enjoy to read? If I put my own you know, slant on it, if I, if I made it more Bills-centric. And then, you know, two, don't do what everyone else is doing. It, when – there are certain things you have to do. You know, when the Bills just name, rename their stadium, you have to put something out on that. Right. Uh, but find maybe a different angle, reactions to it, and, and things like that. Find something that makes your content unique because – there's going to be seven or eight different articles about the name change itself, but can you put a spin on it that makes yours stand out? Yeah. I, I love that last part because that's something I talk about a lot with the other podcasters is I, by my best count is there's probably 50 bills podcasts and you've got 2025 game recap podcasts every week. And I try to listen to every podcast at least once a week. And I think that they're all great. There's somebody, something out there for everyone depending on what you like, but how many reaction podcasts is somebody going to listen to? At some point, you're all kind of saying the same thing. So you're right. How do you package that and look at it from a different angle or really just take one specific part, whether it's the offense, the defense, just even just the player and really sort of present that um, to the Bills fan base in a, in a different way. So I, I think that that's, as you said, it's such a crowded market. I think that's, that's the tough thing. You know, if we moved to Jacksonville, I'd be the third, fourth podcaster, <laughs> podcaster there, right? Like there'd be no one else there. Um, so yeah, it's always interesting for me to get a, um, a glimpse into other people and, and how they got it. And like I said, I thought your, your story was, was so unique. And I think it's, it's good for people who, like you said, don't go the journalism route. Maybe they're writing for fanatics or they're writing for cover one and, and, it's kind of like, okay, I, I've seen someone do this. Like Ryan did this. So now I, I know that there's a way where maybe there's some luck along the way, lots of hard work, but I can, I can, I can maybe become a writer without having a journalism degree, without you know, being hired by the Buffalo News necessarily. And I think that that's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. And you're right. I mean, a little bit of luck needs to be involved. Um, getting these other sites that reach out to you about joining them, that, that takes a little bit of luck. You must be doing something to ca catch their attention, but it, it is a little bit of a combination. And yeah, I would like to hope that that doesn't inspire others to say, okay, I don't have to necessarily go that traditional route. 
we've talked a little bit, we've alluded to the draft a lot in the, the first segment we did. Um, and certainly that's the big thing upcoming. I was a huge, um, not huge, but I was on the running back at 30 train for a little while. And then they signed Matt Breida and that satisfied my need for speed at that position. What do you think, what do you think that they should really do? I know cornerback too is like the thing that or like the big nickel that everyone it's almost a consensus at this point among the fan base that they really want them to take one. What are your thoughts on that? And maybe just the overall plan of what they want to do in the draft. Well, I think simply put the bills just want to draft the best player available. And I know that's cliche. I know that's a boring answer, but the way that this roster is built, Brandon Bean has the ability to do that. So, you know, you look at the running back scenario at 30, if they feel like Travis Etienne or Najee Harris can be a significant upgrade in this offense and can provide something that is lacking, even though they are a very pass heavy team, they have the ability to do that. Uh, and I, I, you know, Matt Breida signing is not going to change that. You, you can look back a few years ago, the Bills signed uh, TJ Yeldon. I think it was about uh, three days before the NFL draft that year. And then they go out on day two and they pick up Devin Singletary. So it was already, at that time, LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, TJ Yeld, and Devin Singletary. And as we all know, LaShawn McCoy was the, ended up being the odd man out and going elsewhere. Uh, I don't think the Bills are necessarily married to any of these running backs. And I know that sounds crazy to say after they had drafted Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in back-to-back years in the NFL draft. But there's a little bit of wiggle room. If they want to try to move one of those two guys for uh, – they're not going to get the same value back. But if you want to move them for a pick, you could move one of them. Uh, Brita's contract, there's nothing in there that ensures he'll be on there in week one. So maybe then it's um, the two that you drafted and then someone that you drafted at 30. You have that flexibility. As many offensive linemen as they've signed, maybe there's an offensive lineman that falls to them at 30 that they, they fell in love with. I don't expect offensive line to be the pick in round one, but I do expect them to pick an offensive lineman or two in this year's draft. I think there's some really good mid-round value on some of these players where you could find someone that might replace Mitch Moore sooner rather than later. Um, Might end up being the long-term answer at guard if it's not Cody Ford. Uh, You know, John Feliciano resigned for a few seasons, but there's probably an out in that contract sooner rather than later if he doesn't live up to that that billing like we saw you know Quentin Spain is not a great example because I don't think what they thought was going to happen with him would happen and they had to to bite a little bit in terms of getting rid of him but there's that at the end of the day I think it's either going to be a defensive lineman or it's going to be a cornerback that's where I'm at that you know the the linebackers that fit that big nickel um obviously out of Notre Dame you know, Jeremiah Owusu, oh. Koromora, I yeah. think he's going to go mid first. I don't think he's going to be there. He's been a very popular name. I love him as a player. If he was there at 30, by all means, select him. But you look at the players that will be there. I think at the linebacker position itself, you're probably talking about a Zayvon Collins being there around 30, being in that area. If they like him enough, by all means, do it. Uh, I, I have been, and I know you said, you know, everyone's kind of on that cornerback train. That's where I am kind of at right now because I sit there and I look at 30. <clears throat> Realistically, I, I, I'm starting to think more and more that Caleb Farley could be there, and there's some risk there. I get it. The back injury is serious for any professional athlete. 
But you're also talking about a player that was being talked about as a top 10 pick about a month ago, two months ago. He opted out in 2020, has this back issue, but in terms of size, speed, athleticism, he checks all the boxes of what you want in a cornerback opposite Trey White. Uh, he says he'd be, he'll be ready by the start of the season, but in Buffalo, you wouldn't have to rush it. You have Levi right. Wallace, who has tons of starting experience. You want to give Dane Jackson a look there. So you even have those two battling for that job. Well, then you could bring Caleb Farley in midseason. If, if you've seen enough from him in practice that he's comfortable enough, he could be it. There's Stokes out of uh, George Eric Stokes. Um, if you want to wait until – I'm not even sure if he's going to be there in round two. I could see him being a surprise late one, early, early day two, if he Melfawanu uh, yeah. out of Syracuse. Size, speed, athleticism, checks those boxes just like uh, Caleb Farley does. So they're there. Um, edge rushers – I'm up and down on this year's class a little bit. You know, yeah. Quiddy Pay has been a very popular name. I'm starting to see him go mid-first uh, in a lot of these expert mock drafts. And, and around this time of year, I, I do put some weight into that because they hear things that a lot of people do not. So he might not be there. Uh, Aziz Olajari, I don't think he'll be there at 30. If he is, I'd run to the podium for him. I did say defensive lineman, though. So even Christian uh, Barmore out of – um, Alabama, he might be in play because of the interior defensive line. So there's a lot of different routes you could go. If you're looking at a sleeper position, I am not willing to write off wide receiver in round one. If uh, if Tony is there at pick 30, and he's starting to fall into that range, starting to yeah. actually fall into an early second in some of these mock drafts, he's intriguing because he can be that weapon that uh, what Isaiah McKenzie has brought for you on offense and he's a long-term answer at wide receiver because Emmanuel Sanders is only here for a year Isaiah McKenzie only resigned short term um Gabriel Davis I like him a lot but he is he's not a necessarily a burner he's not necessarily what you you think of idealistically opposite uh, as a number two I still think he'd be a big part of this offense but maybe you want to upgrade who you're gonna have opposite Stefan Diggs you still have Cole Beasley for a few seasons, but he's getting up there in age. So as much talent as there is in that wide receiver room, you do have to start thinking long-term. And if someone with a high first-round grade falls to them at 30, maybe you'd roll the dice and it would shock a lot of people. But it w- I wouldn't put it past Brandon Bean. No, and I think they've set up the, the roster that way for sure. And it's, it seems to me that maybe the one obvious hole, like you talked about in terms of not really – setting it up at least so far in free agency really is cornerback. And maybe that really is because they want Dane Jackson to really compete for it. Or maybe they realize the corner class is, has a lot of depth. And like you said, they can bring in a guy, they can, you know, give him some time to learn. You have Levi Wallace and then kind of bring this guy in, in the back half of the year, let him get acclimated. Kind of what they did with Matt Milano and Ramon Humber. And, and I'm on board with wide receiver. I mean, there are some, even at the back end, like guys, uh, the two wide receivers from uh, Iowa who are like, you know, sixth, seventh round guys, uh, Daz Newsom. I mean, these are all guys that I think can really help you. And that's a great point too, I think, because I think we as fans just assume that, okay, Emmanuel Sanders is going to leave and then Gabe Davis is just going to, be inserted in there. And that's not necessarily the case. I think we all like Gabe Davis, but he may not ever be anything more than a three or a four. He may not ever be a number two wide receiver. We can't just assume that that's what's going to happen. 
So I like the idea of getting maybe even two wide receivers in this draft. You don't know what Hodgins is. You're not sure about Kumaro. Duke just seems to be a practice, like a fringe practice squad guy, which is, which is fine, you know, in an emergency. So you're right. And, and who's going to take over in the slot, you know, when Beasley leaves? I mean, is McKenzie that guy, or is he really just a wide receiver five? If he is, that's fine. But you can't ass- – I don't think we can assume that these guys just move up. No, I agree completely. And, you know, Gabriel Davis could end up being a wide receiver too. There's a lot to like from his rookie season uh, in terms of touchdowns, in terms of getting open in the red zone. Uh, In terms of when Josh Allen scrambled or rolled to his right or needed to extend plays, Gabriel Davis was one of his favorite targets when he would throw along the sidelines because Gabriel Davis knew where he needed to be uh, and was was able to get open. So there is some stuff to like about his game. But you never know in terms of development how, how players will, will go. Uh, and if he ends up being a wide receiver three or four, he's going to be one of the best wide receiver three or fours in this league most likely, just based on what we saw out of him as a rookie. Cornerback, uh, yeah, I think the Bills have given themselves some leeway to draft cornerback in this class. If somehow, some way they miss out, there's still some really good veterans out there. And I'm not saying that the Bills should continue going that veteran route which they have, though, year in, year out. They always seem to bring in a veteran to compete against a Levi Wallace. Um, the, you know, I, I still think that that at the end of the day, uh, Richard Sherman's going to end up being too expensive. I still think a team's going to pay him a little bit more after post-draft. Uh, but there's even guys on that lower-end veterans like an A.J. Boy, who he's not that far removed from being a really good cornerback. And some of his best play happened in Houston when he, when he was with Buffalo's defensive backs coach, uh, John Butler. So that could end up working out. He does have a little bit of a suspension at the start of the year. There are guys out there that they could bring in in the worst-case scenario. Yeah, and before we finish up real quick, I do also wanted to say I think it's a great point about um, teams looking at drafts. Uh, Doug Whaley, I know he does a podcast with Tyler Dunn. Uh, he also did a podcast with Neil Stratton, um, a couple weeks ago, and, and Neil is doing a 10-part podcast with different general managers about the 2017 draft. Um, so he did the Tennessee Titans guy, and he did Doug Whaley. And one of the things that Doug said was they knew, you know, a five, six, seven, eight uh, pick range where guys were going to go because they knew that teams called Dane Brugler. They call Matt Miller. They call Mel Kuyper. So he basically confirmed that and said, yeah, we knew where these guys were going to go more or less because we know teams talk to these, these big time draft guys. So all we have to do is look at a mock draft and we at least have some, some sort of idea. And I just thought that that was really cool and really cool insight from a guy who's worked in the league. And I'm sure that that continues today. There's no reason why it wouldn't. The draft itself is just so big. So for everyone listening, if you're not sure where a guy's going to go and and you think, I can't believe Mac Jones is going to go to the top 10. I mean, if one of those guys like Mel Kuyper says he's going to the top 10, it's probably because somebody called him and told him that. Yeah. And I always say, look at, uh, Daniel Jeremiah's final mock draft. He's usually on the money about a lot of that stuff because he, he hears things, whether it's from the team directly or whether it's from people that are a little bit lower down on, on that uh, the pecking order, so to speak, in the front office. But yeah, they, they definitely hear things. But in, even the GMs, though, they talk to one another because in the year that the Bills traded up for Josh Allen, 
Brandon Bean has said that he had worked out a deal earlier in the day with John Elway, and Elway pretty much said, you know, this trade's a go unless there's this one player that's available. The Bills didn't know who it was, but they knew it wasn't a quarterback. So they were at least assured that when they missed out on trading up with Denver, it wasn't going to be a quarterback. It ended up being Bradley Chubb. Um, So even the GMs, they talk a little bit. But I I think right now looking at it, we obviously know Trevor Lawrence is going number one. I think we all feel pretty confident that Zach Wilson is going number two. It is starting to look more and more like Mac Jones might be going number three. I'm still not sold on that. (laughs) And I think it's just partially because I don't believe in him being a franchise quarterback. But he fits the 49ers system. Um, and I guess if the, you know, why move all the way up to three? Well, because if, if you're not at three, you're, you're giving the possibility for another team to, to leapfrog you that might love him just as much as you do. Uh, but it's going to be a quarterback, no doubt about that at number three. I'll be shocked if it's not. That's looking like it's going to be Mac Jones. And then that's where the fun begins. What right. do the Falcons do at four? If, if I'm the Falcons, uh, I'm, I'm going tight end and taking pits because if I'm stuck with Matt Ryan's contract for a few years, and I'm not sold on any of those other quarterbacks. I still have Julio Jones and he's not maybe the same Julio that he was five years ago, but he's still a pretty good wide receiver. Uh, I love their Kelvin Ridley. I won quite a few yeah. fantasy games because of Kelvin Ridley this past <laughs> season. So I love Kelvin Ridley. And you add pits into that, that can be an offense that, you know, can score a lot of points and, and with that defense still being where it is you would need to score a lot of points so it doesn't necessarily answer all the questions but it helps you not just short term but when you finally do look to replace Matt Ryan you have some weapons there with Ridley and Pitts at least with Julio probably not being there at, at that point when they do replace Matt Ryan yeah I agree and, and I and I thought that maybe hey they can take Pitts and if Julio leaves I mean, Pitts is kind of the same mm. build of player, maybe not a tick slower, but a really big guy. You have to assume he, he's going to be good outside. And I yeah, and this whole draft is so crazy with the trade-up with the 49ers and that Mac Jones thing. And I think it was Joe Marino. Joe, if it wasn't you, I apologize. But I thought that I heard Joe say that he's starting to hear things that some teams think that Justin Fields – is really a fourth round grade player that he could, I just like, what are you talking about? I mean, I don't, I, maybe I misheard whoever said that, say that, but I just couldn't believe that. I don't know. In this day and age where quarterbacks are so valuable that, that he would just fall. Even if he falls out of the, the top 15, that just seems crazy to me. I agree with that. And you know, there was something a week or two ago about questioning his passion for the game. And it's just like, you know, I saw the guy have his ribs pretty much shattered in a game, and he came back a few plays later and played through it, gutted through it, made some big-time throws. If you don't have a passion for the game, you're sitting the rest of that yeah. game out. Um, <laughs> so I think that's silly. Now, it, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that he is going to be a franchise quarterback. There's been a lot of guys that I thought could end up being a great quarterback in this league that just didn't pan out, and there's people in those front offices that get paid a lot of money to make that determination. Uh, but it, it, it's silly season, whether that's a team that's throwing that out there about his character because they want to get him and maybe they are in that first half of the first round. Right. Uh, and they just feel like, okay, maybe we don't have the assets to trade up to get him. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, it, it's crazy. I think that in, in terms of what we've seen out of them at, in college, he's probably, I would say he should be quarterback three based on what we've seen. Now, mind you, that doesn't necessarily – translate to the NFL level because we've seen a lot of great college quarterbacks that don't have the skill set right. to make it into the in the in the pros but 
I think that he can make all the throws. I think that he's an athletic quarterback. I think that um, he, he is a really good quarterback in this class, but there's going to be teams that fall in love with a Mac Jones. There was a something today, and was I think it was the Stanford quarterback they're talking about on Get Up that some team's going to trade into the end of the first round to get the Stanford quarterback. Uh, oh, I just, I just saw that, option. yeah. It's like, where is this coming from? <laughs> um, because a lot before this, he was talked about as a third, fourth round pick with potential that could do everything. But now it's like first round here, just a few weeks before the draft. So it is silly season. You never know what's out there, what's true and what's not. Yeah. You know, and I'll just say, put that out right now. First of all, I'm glad that the bills don't need one. And second of all, I don't want to speak for Brandon Bean, but if you want to trade up and take the Stanford quarterback, I think that he'd be willing to give you pick 30 if the offer was right. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And you're right. I mean, 30, it's going to be a long wait for Bills fans, and I, I'm going to feel for you if they end up trading out of that pick if you, if you watch the whole first round of the draft. Yeah, I, I, like 11 uh, 15, you'll yeah. find out that they oh, traded out. They're out of it. But, <laughs> um, but at the same time, there's going to be a, some solid prospects that fall to Buffalo because this is going to be a run on quarterbacks. There's going to be four or five quarterbacks that go. There's going to be four to five wide receivers that are going to be givens to kind of come off the board. And I'm throwing Pitts into that category. I know he's a tight end, uh, but you know, the, the, the pass catchers, so to speak, there's going to be a few offensive linemen that go top 10, top 12. So by the, by the time you get down to 30, there's going to be some people that you're not expecting on the board, especially 24, 25. And that's when Brandon Bean can say, okay, we have a high first round grade on this guy. He's shown the, the ability. He's shown in the past he'll get aggressive to move up. So if that means giving up a third-round pick with, with 30 to get up there or whatever the, you know, whatever the trade compensation works out to, he'll do it if there's someone that's available there. Uh, so don't be shocked if the Bills are a little aggressive or if a big-name player falls to them in their laps at pick 30. Yeah, and I was, I was going to say, you know, how many – they don't have holes, really. Like, they could, they could take this roster, win – 12 to 14 games, whatever it is, you know, win a couple playoff games. So I think certainly they're at the point where they can say, Hey, this guy's too good to pass up. We've got to go up and get him." Um, certainly. And, and I'm a big fan of trading down, but I wouldn't mind that either. I mean, if they really want to go up and get a Koromoa, if he starts to fall or, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, like one of those wide receivers starts to fall or something too. I mean, I don't see how they would, but you never know. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't hate that either. So, you know, I think Brandon beans put himself, in a, a good position to be flexible and, and um, you know, he doesn't have to do anything. No, I agree. And, and the one thing that he's done since becoming Bill's GM is he's, every draft class, if you go and look at it, he really emphasizes their, their college production more times than not. Now Dawson Knox is a little bit of an outlier there because he was drafted based on athleticism. For the most part, it's been based on production at the college level and what he thinks they can become at the next level. So without the traditional, uh, combine without the traditional interviews, bringing the players in for the visits uh, and things like that. I really feel like the Bills are going to be well prepared for this draft in terms of who they like based on what they've seen on film. Whether that means 2019 because the player opted out in 2020, uh, 2018, 2019, whether it's more than that, the Bills are going to be in a good spot because they, they draft based on the film in terms of what they see there. Where There are teams that I think put more weight into these combines and pro days than they, oh, yeah. they necessarily should. And, and for that reason, it's going to be another interesting draft because some, some teams are going to be 
they're going to be a little unorthodox in terms of what they do. So, you know, nothing should surprise us come draft night. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the only, the only thing I'm a little sad about is that um, Seattle doesn't have a first-round pick yeah. because they take somebody ridiculous and <laughs> let somebody else fall down the board. So, um, yeah, well, thanks for coming on with me today, Ryan. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. I, I genuinely appreciate it. Uh, okay, and where can uh, people find you? I know you've got the Shout podcast going on, but tell people where they can find your work and all about New York Upstate. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. That's where I share a lot of my content on Facebook as well um, on all the Bills fan pages. But you can find my work at NewYorkUpstate.com, Syracuse.com, and then you can find the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast uh, on YouTube. We, we air it live every week, so you can interact with us there, Periscope, Facebook, uh, and then obviously if you miss it live, you can download it on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Well, once again, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to thank Ryan Talbot for joining me on the podcast today. I would like to thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Once again, my name is Charlie Gross. You can find me on Twitter at Charlie underscore Gross underscore you can find Built in Buffalo at Built in Buffalo underscore. If you enjoyed this podcast, I uh, would hope that you would leave a rating, a review, tell a friend, subscribe to the podcast. Also, I will be doing a Friday night YouTube show, so look out for that as well. That'll be starting in about a week or two. And as usual, Bill's Mafia, I will leave you with these words of wisdom. Find a way to embrace your growth mindset. And as always... Trust the process.